The episode you're about to hear was recorded back in February. It's our interview with Broadway performer Ashley Park. When we met Ashley, she was just starting rehearsals for her starring role in Thoroughly Modern Millie. The show was scheduled to open in May and unfortunately had to be canceled due to the pandemic. But keep an eye out for her in the upcoming television series, Emily in Paris, where she plays opposite Lily Collins. Thanks for listening and take care. Hello, welcome to K-Pod, the podcast about Korean Americans and arts and culture from Korean American Story. I'm Katherine Hong, a writer and editor. And I'm Juliana Sohn, a photographer. Today, Juliana and I are delighted to be sitting down with actress Ashley Park. Ashley is a Tony, Grammy, and Emmy-nominated Broadway performer whose credits include Mamma Mia, Sunday in the Park with George, The King and I, and Mean Girls. She's currently in the final week of the play Grand Horizons at the Hayes Theater. And later this spring, she will be starring in the lead role in Thoroughly Modern Millie at City Center Theater. It feels like Ashley Park is a name we are hearing more and more with each passing month. And Juliana and I are so glad to have this chance to meet you. Thank you for taking the time in between your matinee and evening performances. Oh, what a nice intro. <laughs> Thank you, guys. So, Ashley, one we want to ask about all the shows I just mentioned. But yeah. one show Juliana and I are particularly interested in uh-huh. is that you were in K-pop. Yeah. What was that? Can you just describe what that show was and what your role was? Yeah, it was probably one of like the most ambitious things I've been a part of theatrically. Um, it was an off-Broadway show um, uh, produced by Ars Nova and the Mayi Theater Group. And um, it was actually one of the first, when you know, to create a musical or a show, a lot of times there's a lot of... Um, pre the process before it actually gets to the stage, like readings and workshops and labs and dance workshops and trying to figure out what the songs are, all the stuff. And so when I first graduated from school, one of the first things I did was like the song and dance workshop, like their first trying out of the songs of this K-pop musical. And I was like, oh, how fun. And I was like, there's a girl group and a guy group. And I was in the girl group because I was like right out of school. And so that was one of the first things I had like done in the city and some like practice room somewhere, you know? And then fast forward to um, around the time of when I actually got, I got Mean Girls and K-pop at the same time, actually, um, or K-pop was a little bit sooner. And they, the offer came in, they're like, we would like you to be the solo artist, Mui. And I was like, what? No, I... I'm in the girl group. Like, I don't want to be the sole artist. That's not what, you know? Um, so I was going to do that. And then once Mean Girls came, it was a direct conflict schedule-wise. So direct conflict as in, um, I think, K-pop was rehearsing in, like, August and September and then would open in September off-Broadway here. But Mean Girls was starting rehearsals at the beginning of September. So the entire rehearsal process for Mean Girls for the out-of-town tryout would be... Um, during the exact time of all the performances of K-pop. And I was like, I can't, you know, Mean Girls was a big deal too. So I was like, oh, I guess I won't be able to do both. And so I think there was about three hours where I had said no to doing K-pop. And my dad actually called me. And I was at the time doing the Robin Hood musical in Dallas Theater Center. And my dad and mom are just super supportive of everything. But my dad, like, they just let me do whatever I want. You know, like, that's what um, my manager and agent are for. Like, my parents are the business. But... My, and so he's never had like a really strong opinion about everything, anything, but he was like, hey, you know what? I think that you, if there's going to be a musical about Koreans in New York. Yeah, what are the chances? I, I think that, really think about if you're going to regret not being a part of that, no matter what it is, you know? Because again, I had only seen, I'd only seen the music 
and the choreography. I didn't know really what the script was. And at the time, and I'll tell you more about the show in a second, but I didn't really realize how ambitious and it was gonna be an immersive piece, like how crazy it was gonna be. So I would rehearse all day in Mean Girls from 10 to six, and then I would go and do the show at night. Oh my gosh. And it was the craziest, and for about four weeks. So like we had already started, like we had our first day of rehearsal for Mean Girls. That week, at the end of that week, was my opening night for K-pop, and it was the most demanding role I'd ever played professionally. And the whole reason they were so interested in doing a musical about K-pop was because it's this world that like, people are, the world, and this is before like, you know, the last year it's changed vastly. And like BTS is like the biggest mm -hmm, thing in the right. world, mm -hmm. right? And the whole premise was kind of like, why hasn't, like why is K-pop the most like uh, famous and like fan crazy genre of music, but why is it not crossed over? To America, like why don't people? Why is it still something people like watch the music videos and the choreography over and over again? They're like, well, what is this? Were you watching? Did you what, it, what was your familiarity with K-pop before you took on this? Were you? Familiar? I love. I mean, oh yeah, I I remember watching like um, some music bangs. Like I loved Pinker and like um, some boy bands. Like growing up and like some of the solo art, like Boa and stuff like that. But I really didn't. It wasn't something that I listened to a lot. And for a lot of people too, but I don't know, it was it was kind of meta how it all happened. And then all of a sudden the world became obsessed with it, you know? Anyway, so it, that was just like crazy. And like part of it was showing um, what uh, these, like what, how hard it is, how brutal the life is, you know, like these people like go into it like at such a young age and that's all they work for, you know? And it was kind of meta because people in the audience are like, and once they realize that we are doing the same thing three times, by the third group, it was always the best because you come to this room last and everyone was just like this close to me being like, you must be <laughs> so tired. And I was, but it made it even better because like that's what the whole point of the story was, you know? Were people actually talking to you? Um, so we, we would interact. So like, I mean, even like like Tina Fey came because she's my boss for Mean Girl, you know? And like my, uh, one of the parts of it was that they would give the audience questions to give to me and they were all like scripted or whatever. So I would have to like kind of improv some things, but people ask things differently. And like, or the question they gave her was, she asked me to perform a song. Like, will you play, will you sing Wind Up Doll? And I have to be like, no to my boss, you know? Yeah. So like, but everyone in the room knows who Tina Fey is, knows who, that I'm playing Gretchen. So everyone in that particular group was like dying of laughter. Cause like they know as me as the actress has to do this, you know? It was just like a crazy, Were crazy Were you singing experience. songs in Korean? Yeah, so it was my, yeah. So um, how is your, you can sing Korean? You, kind of, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I grew up like, um, I can like read and write Korean. I went to like Hangu Hakyo, like, you yeah. know, when I was like very little, but um, so I know like the mannerisms and stuff like that. Like, and so that was really fun to sing in Korean, but like they were, some songs were like half and half, like Konglish mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, like. I but feel like, like we really missed out, Juliana. You do, yeah. I mean, like, it's that, coming back is, though, is it, right? Yes, they are yeah. like on the road to Robin, but it is, it will be a different show now. It will be like a beginning, middle and end, oh, you know, like really? they can't do a, an immersive. And also like the cool thing about the Korean thing though, is I still have friends who, and I've sung, sung this song, it's called Bong Say, you know, it's Mute Bird, um, at a few different things. They actually had me sing it at the Drama Desk Awards for like all of the Broadway right, community. you won awards for, I mean, this show won a ton it of was, awards. Oh yeah, they like, I, and I didn't, ex and it, I didn't do it because of that, you know, like I truly didn't expect it. And I wasn't going into being like, yes, this is my tour de force performance. And then all of a sudden the all of New York was just like, what is happening, you know? But it's because I, I really just did, I would, you know, you just take it day by day kind of. And like, I I also had never 
it made it may help me grow as a performer and as an artist and as a storyteller so much because part of the fun and I think I bring a lot even like Grand Horizons right now like so much of best wool's writing is like subtextual it's like how we talk it's like it's very it's much more fun to see somebody suppressing tears and being like it's fine rather than just like going you know and in that to be that close in proximity and everyone can see like oh there's tension going on but like to watch someone try to cover it up okay. is even more like so when did you graduate from college? Oh my gosh, uh, 2013. Years? 2013. And you went straight into this. So I moved, yeah, I moved to New York. I showcased, we do like a showcase. Um, but I was very, because um, I went to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And I, in school, I actually got much more involved with like uh, outreach program. Like I, me and one of my best friends, Erica Henningsen, who has actually played one of the leads in Mean Girls, we, um, with our friend Laura, we had like created this, it's called the Michigan Performance Outreach Workshop. And so we worked a lot with like youth in Detroit and underprivileged youth. And I um, was in the Prison Creative Arts Project. So I would go to a, a juvenile facility every week and like do a theater workshop. So I became, that was what much more my passion was. So I was much more into that. So when I graduated, I was like, okay, I'm gonna give myself six months in the city or like a year in New York and really put my all into just theater. And I worked at Cafe Lalo, I worked at Juice Press, I was a nanny and I was like, oh, okay, like I'm like, I'm making my, I'm like, I have my where like, did you cash live? tip. I, I lived um, in, I was subletting, you know, and I subletted in this place in the Upper West Side. Um, and I, it, there, some of those people are still some of my best friends, you know, um, they were all Michigan graduates. There's like a very great Michigan family and um, they were a few, generations above me, but, um, so I lived in like the Upper West Side, but my first job at the time, I was like, oh my gosh, it's been six months. I haven't been out looking at it. I'm like, I guess I was like right out, you know, um, January, 2014 was when I made my debut in Mamma Mia. So on Broadway. six months of Cafe Lalo and suddenly you're on Broadway. Yeah. Broadway. And just, what, what's funny is I kept working at Juice Press while I was in, uh, on Broadway and didn't tell anybody because I love the people I worked with so much. <laughs> so I would just like take some shifts there once in a while, but yeah. So, and then that's when, so after that, it was just like kind of show after, sh like show a little bit, like in a very, I'm in a, I'm very grateful for that. I mean, it's such a short time. You've been in so many mm -hmm. major productions. It's kind of amazing. I, I really, I, again, like how you take it day by day a little bit. Like I'm very, I'm just realizing in the past couple of months, like in talking about, um, it's so it sounds so you know like your career and like all this stuff, but when people say like when you just read off that list, it is you know it's crazy, and I can only say that because it I'm like how did that happen? I don't even know. Well, you know, I think it's interesting when you were talking about do I do K-pop or do I do Mean Girls? Mm -hmm. I'll do both. <laughs> yeah, but it, you know, and sometimes it doesn't work like that. But I just I think that my priorities were always. Even like after Mamma Mia, I went into I left that to do the tour with Cinderella, and I it was really important for me to and at the time of getting that role, I was also in the mix for um, playing Tuptim in the Broadway revival of King and I, and it, it came to the point where I had to kind of decide. To, I could only do one or the other. Like, cause Cinderella, like, once they build you costumes for these shows, they're not going to let you only do it for three months. Like, you're con contracted to do it for. Um, at least six months, if not a year, like everything's different. But I remember being like, I, I want to do Cinderella cause it's a, it's a, it's a role. I haven't spoken lines in a professional production yet. It's 
a non-Asian role. And I don't even know if I'm going to get this like King and I think, you know, and I want to tour a little bit. I remember telling the, my representatives, like, I would rather be the, the least paid person on that tour, even though it's a principal contract. I was like, I'm not, I don't, I don't have children right now. I don't need to make money. Like I would pay to do these shows. Like that's what I did growing up, you know? So like, it was just, it's a matter of just like, I'm, I'm glad that I've been very uncompromising and just wanting to, like, if I want to, if I get a job or if I want to do it, like, I'm going to, like, break my back to do it. You know, one of the people that we interviewed um, for this podcast is Peter Kim. He's an actor. He was in Wild Goose Dreams. And oh, okay. his Broadway debut was in Thoroughly Modern Millie. Oh, really? Yes. And he talked to us about how he, you know, he was so excited to be part of that show. And mm-hmm. he doesn't regret it in a minute. But I think he... Felt, feels in retrospect a little odd about the fact that he was playing the Chinese character. Mm-hmm. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, was- um, well, first of all, what they're doing is the characters used to, I think, like speak in Mandarin and sing in Cantonese, and now they're doing everything in Cantonese. And also, um, they. I think what well, how they it, originally wrote it was that yes, because Mrs. Mears is a very racist, you know. But I think it was interesting to hear what um, the writers said, which was the for a New York audience and professional Broadway show, their intention of making this racist character who is in yellow face is that she so blatantly is the bad, the antagonist, and being in yellow face, and they do have these two Asian people, so like. They're not saying that yellow face is okay, but they're hoping that people could see, oh my gosh, that's so awful that she's doing that. Like, this is not okay. You know, and so, and it, and it worked here, you know, and like to have Asian actors who were singing and acting in, you know, weren't playing a stereotype necessary, necessarily as opposed to her and to see them being abused by her, like that is a, that was their intention. But then you release these rights to every high school. I did this show in high school, you know, across yeah. America. And people don't get that satire. They don't get that edge, that angle. And then you're just okaying yellow face and, like, mm. people barking in Asian accents across the United States, you know? So now how amazing that they're, like, let's, like, really go back so that we're not just, like, because the, the heart of the story and, like, this this character, Millie, is, like, unlike a lot of female heroines that like are written in the musical theater canon and like should be salvaged and it's an amazing score and everything and so that's the point of encores like Lear DeBestine who's now the executive director like she's like let's let's allow these shows to be done again you know like let's not just do shows that will never be done again yeah so it's interesting you know it's at the time that was part of the journey of how we're getting to now like at the time that was how they had to present themselves in order to get in the room, in order to get a job, in order to be part of the story at all. And like, I think it's like, the reason I love this place so much that I'm in right now, like is this role, there's no, no reason that I, my part has to be an Asian person, but it's just, I'm just a person and that's how who it is, you know? And it's not because they also needed to splash color on the stage. That's not, you know? And I think that it's hard when we, judge like as an actor judge the acting generation before us who like played these kinds of roles you know some of them I've, I've worked with some and they've gotten such backlash and I'm like that's not fair either like that um because we had to do that and now we see that and so we, we get to this place now a little bit you know so I want to ask you about Thoroughly Modern Millie also because I read that that was the show that you came back in in high school after you were oh yeah the story is coming right, out right, yeah right, it was, right will you tell us about that yeah um so it's you, very I mean uh, when Lear the director um we when we met about this show and she um 
we were meeting my encores and she said, hey, have you ever thought of the role of Millie Dillmount? I really see you as that. And I was like, oh, in fact, I played it in high school. Like I, I thought she knew what the story was behind it. And she was like, I told her, because I, I guess I hadn't really reflected on it. But anyway, so I was diagnosed with cancer my sophomore year of high school. And um, I was an inpatient for eight months and I had like six rounds of chemo and I wasn't supposed to come. I would think I was released from the hospital in August before my junior year and I was supposed to stay, um, not like not go back to school right away, you know, but they were doing Millie and I um, ended up getting that role and I wore like, I was still bald at the time. I wore the two wigs that we had made out of my own hair, like when I had first cut it off, you know, and what was, I realized now was that, I mean, that was, it truly was a formative um, role, not because it was like the lead role, not because it was when I was like coming out of like, you know, entering remission. But like I, after that experience, you know, I was just like the girl who I had, the, I was the girl who had cancer. And my whole life I had been growing up trying not to just be the Asian girl, you know? Like I was like, I want to be the smart girl, the nice girl, the da 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 da. Like I don't want. I love being Asian, but I also don't like that that's the first and only thing that people are going to see. And that was like always my personal. But then all of a sudden I was the sick, the sick girl, you know, and I'm bald and I have no hair and I look like a certain way. And like, how can I, how can I not be, you know? So during those moments of like, I realized how, how much I needed and like was so excited to, to a very like deep, place for like a 16 year old to escape into another person for three hours a day, you know? And man, everybody was just like, so worried. Cause it's a huge like tap. It's like the most vigorous, like kind of, um, show for, you know, someone, you know, and, um, to play that and realize how much I liked being another, like, you know, going to someone else's shoes and doing that. And Millie's such a survivor. And so like, um, so much like gumption is so smart and strong and all of this stuff and I like really uh, I don't yeah so that so I so played it in high school would you mind telling us a little bit more about your diagnosis and just getting through that that sounded obviously the most formative experience of your yeah life. yeah I mean I what, so it was 10th grade 10th grade acute myeloid leukemia and um I what it was right before Christmas that I was diagnosed and um you know at the time yeah yeah well how, how did you get diagnosed oh well, my gosh this is a long story I mean I I had been I was a you know I I dance I danced and I did a lot of extracurriculars and I was just starting to like I literally was late to all of my classes at school because I couldn't climb stairs in time I had bruises everywhere I lost so much weight but I was also like everyone changes like everyone is changing when you're 15 like in terms of physical, you know, puberty. I'm like, oh, great, my growth spurt. I'm, getting, I'm losing all my baby fat, you know? And like I was doing High School Musical and I loved theater. I just like loved theater so much. And yeah, so I, I was I was starting to get like very sick and stuff and we just kind of put it off for a while because you just don't think that yeah. that's the case, you know? And I remember like laughing about it with friends and like, oh my God, Ashley Bruce is so crazy. This is oh, so crazy. God. And so I went to the... Um, pediatrician like with my mom like right before on my last day of school that semester because we finally had time and it was um, between school and my theater rehearsal that evening and we went and they took some blood and they're like you need to go to the ER right now and I was like well I'm gonna go to rehearsal first and so I went to rehearsal and they're like you should call your dad and so we did and then we just went to the ER that night and I just I didn't leave for eight months you know so that's a very very long story very very <laughs> short but um, and it feels like a different person, you know? Like, I think that that's what, um, 
you, it didn't, I think once I left, I was kind of like, I just don't want this to define me at all. I don't want to go to therapy. I don't want to be held back by this at all. But in so not wanting to, you know, I was like, one day I'm going to have like long hair again. I'm going to be, it's, I'm going to be, it's going to be years from now. And people who meet me on the street would have literally no idea that I like had this, you know, but in that, that is like probably the most like defining something that has defined me and not wanting it to define me, if that makes sense, right. you know? And like, I think that's why I, with Millie in theater, I just like loved being around. I was isolated for mm-hmm. eight months. My harmony stayed with me and my mom was able to stay with me. Like, because uh, the point of chemo is it wipes out, it kills the cancer cells and also all your other cells. And with blood cancer, the whole point is to get all of your blood counts down to zero and then your body can build itself back up, you know? And I had the adult form of leukemia, which was a lot more intense and a lot faster spreading. But for me, I I see it as a blessing because instead of a three-year-long protocol where I was in and out of the hospital, it was just like really vigorous for that amount of time. And then I can go. And I think it did shape too that I don't think my, I mean, my parents have always been 100% supportive. But like for me growing, you know, they, my mom went to UCLA, my dad went to USC. Like there's not like theater over there. They really didn't know. It was so random that like in Ann Arbor, I happened to like follow my friends to theater. And even if like I, they were, they loved watching my shows and they supported that. Never did they, or I think that it was like a career possibility. Like we don't really know that. And um, I think it became, and especially after I was, done with my um, cancer experience, my, you know, well, not done, but, you know, my parents were very much like, you know, you survive, like, do whatever you want. And like, truly, you know, and my Make-A-Wish was actually, because I was a Make-A-Wish kid, and my wish was to come to New York for the first time and watch a Broadway show. And so they brought that, that's why I'm so, I love that foundation so much. And I um, granted, like, I've tried to help grant wishes of like, I want to oh, come so backstage. So they brought you and- in to New York and what, what did you? They had me watch. Uh, we watched. They brought my whole family in. We did like college visits. We did all this stuff, and um, we watched Lion King, Wicked, Spring Awakening, and Chorus Line. Yeah. So it's very. There's so many like full circle things in that way. But um, but I'd never had. I just think Broadway was like a building. I didn't know that it was like a. You know, I had never been to New York. I'd only seen it in like rom coms and stuff. So like, it was very very. But I would have never seen Broadway for the first time if I hadn't had cancer because I wouldn't have been a make wish kid, you know? To spend eight months in a hospital mm-hmm. getting chemo and then uh, to come out to audition for a play and get the lead. But what's so funny is that I think that I was that, it, it's maybe that enhanced it, but like I definitely don't live every day being like, I had cancer, like I'm going to be, like this is what I'm going to do. Like in fact, for a while, it wasn't survivor's guilt, but I felt very weird being called like, you're such an inspiration, you're such a hero, like from your experience and everything like that, because I'm like, I was just doing what everyone else in the world is trying to do, which is just trying to survive. Like mm-hmm. I was just living, you know, like I'm just trying to live. Like, how is that heroic? That's probably the most selfish thing that I could, you know, but I think that like, what really drives me now, especially like I've had an interesting year in that, like, because I've done um, only musicals, like really for the, since I've graduated, um, I did, I left Mean Girls, uh, last a year from about a year a year exactly um and shot a pilot in LA and then I did this play my it was my first play up in Williamstown and I went right from that to shoot a series in Paris um it's Darren Starr's new 
TV show and I had never, I'd never studied abroad. I'd never like lived abroad. After doing that and coming back to this, I do feel like a very, I think I found my like womanhood in a way in the past year. And so what drives me on a daily basis is like, it sounds corny, but I'm just like, I like no matter at this point now, I, I have no career um, goals or bucket list that I need to do because I realize the more I'm like desperate for like the next rung of the ladder, the more I'm closing myself off to like whatever the universe has like planned for me. Do you know what I mean? So, so in that how, way. But how does that work? Um, people call you in for an audition or? You it can happen in like so many ways, you know, like that's what I've realized is that there really is no straight path. And I think that the hard thing about like, being in a program at school and like coming into the world is like, you think that there's only one way, like I have to be like on Broadway in a lead, da, 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 like this kind of thing. And it's like, you know, something like Millie happened over a coffee date, but it's because I'd worked with this director on three different readings that didn't, I didn't, we didn't end up working on like so many things. And I've, I've realized now the jobs that I'm getting are because of it, word of mouth and like the kind of person you are and like what you bring to, especially in like the acting world, like what you bring to, the workspace and like as a creator and as a collaborator and like how smart and how nice you are is actually what matters like so much so and like so like on a daily basis what like drives me is just like I really want to be a good friend to the people that I have in my life and like we talk about like a network you know people networking and stuff but I really think of a network as like people who would like like catch me if I was like falling and like I think that I've been lucky in being in projects of a certain, with a caliber of people. Like the fact that my first like principal role on Broadway was with Ken Watanabe and Kelly O'Hara and like you know, Daniel Day Kim, you know, like all these people, like I've had, I've gotten to really watch and observe just as much as like everyone's so eager to like be the famous one, like be a big thing right away. And like, I think that what drives me is like a hunger to keep learning. And so that means to be put in opportunities where like I would never have imagined for myself and like I'm scared of. Um, but also I'm just so excited to do and like play characters and like work with good people and like do really good storytelling. Thank you to Ashley Park for taking time to speak with us. You can follow Ashley on Instagram at Ashley Park Lady. K-Pod is brought to you by Korean American Story. Our producer is Jessica Park. Our executive producer is H.J. Lee. And our editor is A.J. Valente. You can follow K-Pod and see Juliana's photographs of our subjects on our new Instagram at kpodpod. That's K-P-O-D-P-O-D. And you can always email us with comments and suggestions at kpod at koreanamericanstory.org. Thanks.